This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. This is Gordon Smith, and the program is Sons of Melchizedek. Welcome, Father Sims. It's great to be with you. Thank you. This is a program about vocations, and it seems to me that you may be nearing the end of your earthly vocation, uh, nearing retirement, but you've had a, a storied career. You've been all over the place. Tell me some of the places you've been, tell our audience where you've been, and then we'll get dig into a little bit about your vocation story as well. Sure. I've been, um, as you said, I've been all around. As a young priest, I was at St. Barnabas on the south side of Indianapolis, and subsequently I was a teacher at the uh, Latin school, and uh, then I became vocation director. And after I was vocation director, I went down to Indiana University for 15 years. And after that, I went to St. Simon's, which is out in the Geist area. I was there for nine years, and I've been down here at Immaculate Heart of Mary this is the start of my 16th year. So that makes me really pretty old. Well, it, but it's a great story, though. It's uh, thank you for all that service and, and, and your vocation in general. You mentioned Latin school. That's something that doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, the building is still there. It's uh, Lumen Christi now, but is that where you taught? It, that's right. That that's facility? where I taught. It was also connected to Holy Rosary Parish, which is the Italian parish here in the city. And years ago, I studied... Uh, graduate work in Rome, so it was very appropriate that I went to, to Holy Rosary, and I certainly enjoyed my time there with all the Italians. And what did you teach? Did you teach Latin? I taught Latin, as a matter of fact. Actually, when I was in the seminary in Rome, the classes were in Latin or Italian, so it was a pretty easy transition to become a Latin teacher. So just for the folks in our audience that don't know, a Latin school back in the day was kind of the school you went to if you thought you were going to become a priest. That's correct. It was basically a high school seminary. And so people would go to Latin school for high school. And then if they decided to continue their discernment process, they would go to St. Meinrad. The thing about that time frame, I'm thinking back, that would have been uh, after the 60s, it was a tumultuous time in our country. Uh, it was a little bit after uh, Vietnam and... Um, Watergate and some things like that. Tell me your recollection of, of the world uh, about the time you were teaching Latin at Latin school. Well, as you said, it was certainly a time of transition in everything, time of transition in the church, time of transition uh, in, in the government. But it was also an exciting time because there were lots of new possibilities that were coming both to the church and to, uh, to our nation. Well, that's a good dropping off point here to ask you a, my next question, which was you left there and went down to IU. IU uh, was, what, what parish were you, were you at? Um, St. Charles there? I was at St. Paul's. That's the Newman Center. 
is not St. Paul's the um, handled by Dominicans now? Yes, presently they're Dominicans at St. Paul's. When I was there, they were diocesan priests. I see. Okay, so you are up on 17th Street, and IU had its share of uh, just about anything you can imagine, but I probably went to Mass with you when I was a student at IU. I'm guessing my now wife would take me to Mass with her occasionally, and we'd go up to 17th Street. So I'm sure you celebrated with me way back then. Probably so. I wonder if you've uh, heard any of those old homilies. Some of them must stuck because I <laughs> later converted, and uh, here I am at Catholic Radio Indy interviewing you now. Tell me a little bit about, tell our audience, what things a parent should think about when their child when they feel their child might have a vocation, since you were in, involved with vocations with the archdiocese? Well, I think the, the most important thing is just to, to, frankly, and I know this sounds a little easy to say, but to pray for them, to be supportive and encourage them as they uh, make their life choices, their life journey, and, and to know that it's... Um, it's a really good life. I think sometimes people feel that the vocation to the priesthood becomes uh, lonely and isolating, and in reality, that's not at all true. Well, they say that the uh, studies have indicated that priests have one of the highest job satisfactions of any profession out there, uh, and th- that kind of flies in the face of the concept that priests are all lonely and uh, isolated and live in the rectory by themselves and have no no life. I, I'm guessing that you have a lot of children out there. I think that's true. I'm here at Immaculate Heart of Mary. Certainly, it's a, a wonderful thing to be the leader of this community, and people here are very gracious to me and very helpful. And um, that really makes such a positive difference in my life and in my, as you said, my job satisfaction. Amen to that. Uh, when you were a young man, uh, at what age did you enter the, the seminary? You, you went to St. Mary College in Kentucky. Did you have the vocation thought at that time? That's correct. I graduated from Schulte High School, which is the uh, Catholic, was the Catholic high school in Terre Haute, very much like Chittard or Roncalli here in Indianapolis. And certainly all along I had given thought to becoming a priest. And uh, as part of that discernment process, I went to St. Mary's in Kentucky. Actually, I was in those days a late vocation because I went after high school instead of after grade school. Uh, and so I had to go and make up Latin credits. And it's ironic that I subsequently became a Latin teacher. So you had the thought that you might become a, a priest and that you might have a vocation. What did your parents, George and Roberta, what did they have to do with it? Did they encourage you or discourage you? or What, what was the family life like? Well, I think they uh, found the appropriate middle ground uh, in that, that they were supportive, but they weren't, if you will, coercive about uh, priesthood. And certainly we had a prayerful family uh, background. We were committed to um, faith. Actually, it's it's somewhat unusual in that my father wasn't a Catholic at the time I went to the seminary, and he, he became a Catholic right before I was ordained. I was ordained in Rome in 1971, and at that time he, uh, he had just finished taking instructions uh, to become a Catholic. And so actually the first time I actually celebrated Mass, if you will, with my father when he could receive the Eucharist was at my ordination Mass and first uh, Mass in Rome. 
Oh, that's a wonderful story, and that's a, a great conversion for him. You had influence on your parents, and and they, but they didn't hit you over the head with a baseball bat. That's what I'm hearing. You, they let you and God find your own way. That's that's very well said. Mm-hmm. What do you feel is your most important task in being a priest? Well, one of the things that the one of the things that the Vatican Council says is that the task of the priest is to um, preach the good news. And I think that takes place in lots of different contexts. Uh, certainly it takes place in the context of Eucharist, uh, but it also takes place in the context of how the priest just relates to people, how he brings the community together, and how he invites them to experience the good news, certainly with God, but also with each other. Now, you mentioned the Eucharist. The Eucharist is something that some folks might have some difficulty with. I've heard uh, studies that indicate that uh, some people don't believe that that's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And we're coming upon a Eucharistic revival here in uh, the next two years, I think, uh, that kind of culminates in Indianapolis in the summer of 2024. Uh, what can we do, and what what do you do in your vocation to help people understand the importance of the Eucharist? Well, it seems to me that one of the most important things is that we can help make the Eucharist a prayerful experience for people. Obviously, we need to remind them, as you said, that uh, Christ is, as the uh, Council of Trent says, really, truly, and substantially present in the Eucharist. My experience is that more people believe that than some of these studies indicate. Um, and I think we need to work at making the Eucharist a really joyful and prayerful experience for folks. And if we do that, then I think it's more likely that they're not only going to come to the Eucharist, but live the Eucharist after Mass. Uh, something I've heard said before that, that some priests will look out in the, the, the parish after communion and they'll see a lot of long faces. And that's exactly the time when we should all be very joyful We've just received Jesus in in person, and um, that's when we are the most holy ourselves. What's your favorite Bible quote or story? The one that I like the most is, uh, actually it was used at my first Mass, and not too many uh, uh, months ago, here at my 50th ordination anniversary at Immaculate Heart of Mary. It's the one... um, uh, Simon Peter, do you love me? And I think one of the things that I like about that is that Jesus asked Simon Peter three times the same question, and they use different words in Greek for love. It's kind of a reminder that sometimes the, the being a loving person is more challenging than might initially appear. And then at the very conclusion of that passage, uh, Jesus reminds Peter that he's going to be taken some places that he would rather not go. But in the end, that would be a a real gift to him and a gift to other people. And that was a gift to Peter also, because I think prior to that, Jesus, um, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. That's that's absolutely correct. So this was showing God's mercy and uh, forgiveness for something that should not have been forgivable, you know, really. Uh, but but Peter was forgiven for that. He was an imperfect human, like all of us, I guess. Um, do you have a favorite saint, Father Sims? Actually, I think um, a saint that I really appreciate a lot is St. Thomas Aquinas, because St. Thomas blends together um, a strong commitment to intellectual growth, but a recognition that 
that the intellectual growth always needs to be placed in the context of faith and that blending together of uh, wanting to grow in knowledge but also to grow in in wisdom and faith i think is a real gift and a reminder that saint thomas uh, brings to us i agree with that and what a what a gift to the church saint uh, thomas aquinas was uh, I remember a story, however, when he got late in life and frustrated with something, and he, uh, he was about ready to burn all of his papers, and said it was, what did he say, something like, it's nothing but straw? That's, that's what he said, yes. And I think that was, once again, his commitment to the fact that faith needs to be a complement to his intellectual endeavors. This is Gordon Smith, and we're interviewing today Father Robert Sims, Father Bob, as he's known around Immaculate Heart, and this is the Sons of Melchizedek program. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. The first radio station signed on back in the 1930s. And wow, people could get news without having to wait for the next day's newspaper and hear great entertainment right in their living rooms. Uh, But then in the late 40s, television came along. And since it could add visual content, well, that would probably kill off radio. But it didn't. In the 70s, satellite radio, 8-track tapes and cassettes, and the Walkman came along. Surely one of these would kill off radio. But they didn't. Now there's streaming on computers, podcasts, Alexa, and smartphones that put the world at your fingertips. And you know what? Radio is still here. In fact, a recent survey of people aged 18 and up showed that on a monthly basis, radio reached more people than television, including time-shifted TV. And for audio programming, more people than smartphones, PC, Alexa, or tablets. When you support Catholic Radio Indy, you're supporting a powerful tool that has the potential to reach over one million people every day with the message of salvation. If you're one of our donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, today would be a good day to do that. Just go to catholicradioindy.org and click on the Donate button. That's catholicradioindy.org. And thank you for your support. Welcome back. This is Gordon Smith, and the program is Sons of Melchizedek. I'm interviewing Father Robert Sims, Father Bob as they call him, at Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish in Indianapolis today. Father Bob, tell me a funny story that happened to you when you were in the rectory or in in the seminary. I'm sorry, in the seminary. Well, I suppose one of the things that strikes me is uh, a good number of years ago, I gave a homily, and uh, I told a little story, and another priest was listening to uh, the homily and the story, and he went down to another parish and used that same story. And uh, I went down to that parish the very next week and repeated that story. And somebody came up to me and said, well, why did you steal Father So-and-So's material? Uh, In reality, of course, Father So-and-So had stolen my material. But it wasn't stealing, but I was glad that uh, he was able to use it and thought it was inappropriate. But it was just kind of, in my mind, kind of a funny thing to uh, have take place. That's interesting. So it's all good homily material for sure. Um, do you like the re- rectory life? Uh, do you live alone? Is are you the only priest in this rectory? 
I am. I, I, but that's that's fine. As I said earlier, I, it's not a lonely life. I have a lot of neighbors. I have a lot of friends. Uh, I have friends that are priests and friends that come from other walks of life. So um, I like where I live. I like my privacy. And actually, one of the nice things is that, um, and it is mostly women, they uh, two times a week prepare meals for me, so I certainly don't starve. And uh, the meals are all excellent. Well, you're certainly not overweight. I understand you're a runner, and it looks like you're very trim and in good shape in that way. I do. I try to run every day. It's a nice time to, to be quiet and reflective. I used to run uh, marathons, and, and I frequently would uh, use that as an opportunity to prepare homilies. And my homilies were shorter or longer when I was running marathons, and now they're shorter since I don't run as far. But uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to be reflective and quiet. Well, maybe to half marathon, half homily. <laughs> <laughs> What do you enjoy most about being a priest, and, and what sacrament do you enjoy conferring the most? Well, I think the thing that I enjoy most about being a priest is just being a part of people's faith journeys. Um, and certainly in this day and age, people are in lots of different places uh, on their journey of faith. I experienced that when I was at IU. Uh, sometimes we just need to let people ask questions and trust that God is going to be a part of that journey. And I, I think in lots of ways, uh, we need to give people some space and some room to be who they are and to know that eventually I do believe that God comes into their lives and that they recognize God's presence in their lives all along. We can't tell what God's plans are. Um, sometimes we get in the most trouble when we are putting our opinion ahead of God's providence, I think, right? I think that, I think you're right. So, which of the sacraments, though? Did you tell me which sacrament you uh, prefer, or actually, I, I certainly I enjoy all the sacraments, uh, but uh, I especially enjoy celebrating Sunday Eucharist with this community. It's an opportunity for us to come together uh, and to be touched by God, to be challenged by God, and also. Uh, to just remember that God is a part of our journey, not just at Sunday Mass, but after Sunday Mass during the week as well. Now, you have a, a special musician here at Immaculate Heart that has um, composed music that we all know about and sing at many other parishes. What is that gentleman's name? His name is Kerry Landry. Actually, Kerry uh, retired, and he just recently uh, came back in an interim because our music director uh, was moving on. And so uh, Kerry does an outstanding job. Um, I knew Kerry when he was a, a young man and very much appreciate his music, his energy, his enthusiasm, and his prayerfulness. It's amazing that that all, it's in many songbooks and, and uh, hymnals all over the world, and yet it came right out of this parish. Tell us some things, and our listening audience, of things that you would like to see people do, your parishioners, or some things that you might like them not to do to help you out. Well, I think one of the things is... Um, it's a great thing when people are involved in the parish. I think one of the things that sometimes is said that uh, uh, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And there is at least some level of truth to that. So I'd like to spread the labor around a little bit better. I'd like to get uh, more people involved. Uh, certainly 
um, in the liturgical life of the parish, but also in the service dimensions. One of the things that's really good about Immaculate Heart of Mary is we have a lot of outreach. We have an outreach to Honduras. We have an outreach to St. Anthony's School. Um, and there's actually a new program here that I think is really uh, an outstanding program. The title of it is Changing Lives Forever. And what it does is it's help people that are, if you will, down on their luck. It gives them skills. Uh, to help them uh, better their lives, and it does so in the context of faith. So there's so many good things that go on. I would just like to see more people involved in those good things. Well, this is a a blessed area of the city. It's um, a nice area, and it's nice that you're able to share your your wealth in material goods and also spiritual outreach to the people that might be um, not as well-versed in that area. What would you like to know, um, people to know about you and your, your long career now that they might not know about, um, a fun fact uh, about you or some, something that no, no one else really knows? And we talked about this before the program, spoiler alert, but I'm going to go ahead and ask Father Bob about this because it, it seems like this might be appropriate now uh, in, in the late part of his uh, vocation. Well, one of the things that is unusual is that, of course, I went to undergraduate school, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to learn Latin, and my undergraduate school was called St. Mary's in Kentucky, closed uh, certainly 40 years ago. And where was that? It was in central Kentucky, near Gethsemane. Okay. And um, it, it closed and very briefly was a nudist colony, which is not a great thing to have in central Kentucky. But nevertheless, it was briefly a nudist colony and now is a minimum security prison. So it certainly had a long and varied history, and, and I'm sure the walls could tell a lot of different stories. I'm sure they could. Um, when you discerned, however, sometime after high school and before St. Mary's, did you have any doubts in your mind? Uh, did you fight it? Did you resist the call? Were you, uh, did you have an interest in, in ladies? Did you have, did you date? Sure. Well, I really think that uh, doubts are an inevitable part of every dimension of life. One of the things that I think Pope Francis has said is the the opposite of faith isn't doubt, the opposite of faith is certitude. And I think that sometimes if people uh, are too certain, too clear, uh, perhaps that is an, an injustice all the way around. So certainly um, uh, when I was in high school, I, uh, I dated and 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 that was uh, obviously a really good thing. And, and, and I just think we need to be comfortable with the fact that uh, within the priesthood, uh, there, are just, there, there are going to be uh, times of struggle, but there mostly are times of, of celebration and of joy. We're interviewing Father Bob Sims today. This is Gordon Smith. This is the Sons of Melchizedek program. Father Bob, some people don't believe in God, and I don't know if that's, sometimes we preach to the choir in our own circles, but it seems like there's a lot of problem out there, especially in the recent history here uh, of this abortion uh, debate that has been raging, uh, and a lot of people just don't even understand that life is a part of God's creation, and they don't even understand the basics of, of create the creator 
uh, God and they don't believe in God. How can we address that? Well, I do think that one of the things that we talk about is that there's a natural law written in our minds and hearts, and I think we need to be open to that natural law. Um, I remember uh, many years ago, actually when I was in Rome, you may recall that the uh, famous statue of the Pieta was attacked and damaged. And uh, soon after that, uh, the Pope at the time, uh, Paul VI, uh, gave an audience on uh, Sunday, actually the Sunday blessing. And he said that uh, no statue, no matter how old it is or how beautiful it is, is worth a human life. And I think one of the the challenges for us is just to remind people of uh, of our common dignity um, as all of us as children of God. Amen to that. We we have a lot of education to do for those that that don't have that knowledge, and we want to reach out to them in any way we can. Tell me, uh, what your favorite go-to prayer is? Actually, the prayer that uh, I like the best is the Jesus prayer, the namely the Our Father. There's actually something called the Jesus prayer, but the Our Father, I think, is the one that Jesus taught us, and uh, that prayer, to some extent, crystallizes everything that we need to be about as followers of Jesus. We're talking to Father Bob Sims today of Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish in Indianapolis, part of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Father Sims, you are, we're in your office here. Um, Explain a little bit about the church uh, building itself. I think I'm next to the church building, and it was built in roughly the 50s, wasn't it? It was an outgrowth maybe of St. Thomas Aquinas? Or no, maybe uh, Joan of Arc. It was an an outgrowth of St. Joan of Arc. Actually, uh, this church is exactly my age. It's 75 years old. The church was built in 1946. At least the parish was founded in 1946. I believe the the church itself was built a few years after that. So uh, it's a beautiful church. The stained glass windows are outstanding. And I was told that the founding pastor, his name was uh, Father Psalm, liked blue. And so there's a, a blue a touch that is in all the windows in the church. Uh, the windows themselves uh, delineate some of the uh, sacraments. One that they never use the term for anymore is extreme unction. So that's, uh, I always thought that was um, unusual to see that written in the window there. Actually, one of the other interesting things about this, the, the windows is that there was a priest here years ago um, and uh, he is actually in one of this, the uh, stained glass windows. Um, really? The likeness of that priest is in one of the stained glass windows at the proclamation of the Assumption, which took place in, in uh, uh, 1950. And unfortunately, his name is slipping my mind right now, but his, his likeness is in, in the window. And John Ryan is his name. Oh, Father Ryan, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Very famous priest from Indianapolis. Um, and then you had a priest here stationed at um, Immaculate Heart that later became a bishop, right? Yes, Jerry Gettelfinger. Uh, he became the bishop of Evansville, and I, and I know that he's retired at this time. Well, thank you so much for all your comments and your observations, Father. I really appreciate your time uh, interviewing you in the Sons of Melchizedek program. Enjoy these last years, and we really, really appreciate your vocation uh, to the priesthood. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, you perform the miracle on the altar every day, and it's, it's uh, very valued, and your parishioners really appreciate that. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. 
You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 